Welcome, friends. You are listening to Worst Show Ever. I'm here with Dan and Paul Grody. Hello. We are, where are we? We're at House. 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 And the German spelling. The Bauhaus. House. The Bauhaus House. The House of Coffee Houses in San Francisco. We're in the Mission District. Um, I was really excited to meet up with you, Dan. We've been friends a long time, and I'm curious to hear, I'm curious to see if it's a story that I've already heard or if it's a something new to me. I, I try to not know what story people are going to share before they get into it. But a uh, little introduction. I don't even know when we met. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Um, Tell me, and I'll, I'll confirm if that's what it my was, memory I think it was the first Drift show. It was on top of... Oh, the Art Institute. The Art Institute. Okay. Was that the first Drift show? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. And I was Trio. Elliot Lip. Yep. And he told me about the show. I had just, I think that was like 2002 or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. I had just rolled into San Francisco. Didn't really know what I was doing. Was going to be here for a week. Ended up making a record with Elliot. Mm-hmm. And the first day I got in, I was like, hey, where are you at? Where do you want to meet up? We hadn't even decided to make a record at that point. We were just going to meet up and hang out. Uh, and... He was like, oh, I'm at, I'm at artist to come over. There's this band playing on the roof. <laughs> They're sweet. So I came over and saw you guys play. It's awesome. And I remember at the time I was wearing a dilute, dilute pin. Yeah, 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 you remember. Okay. Yeah. And Trevor was like, hey, I'm friends Whoa. with those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, His long extended fingers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, then you, well, then you guys are awesome. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I mean that was one of those things. When you, I guess when you wear a, a sticker or a pin of somebody, it's like a band that really nobody knows, and then somebody knows them, you get really excited. Totally, yeah. yeah. And, and he was like, "Oh, I'm friends with those guys." Yeah, <laughs> I was like, well, cool. I worship those guys. <laughs> um, yeah, and we've done a couple tours together. Uh, one in the American South. Uh, one of the I was t- just we happened to see our mutual friend Andrew Weathers also at this coffee shop just before this and I was telling him about some stories that I thought you might tell but I'm not gonna I shouldn't go into that I'll just uh I'll let you tell and then yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll see. Let's was, start with that, and then I can't wait to hear what you think I might tell, because I wonder what I actually don't remember. Right, and that's and another funny challenge of this whole process. <laughs> of the aging process? Well, I mean, because I think a lot of us block out some of the bad ones. Well, what I said to Andrew, and I hope this isn't weird to hear, but like, you're such a positive person that I was like, I wonder what Danny's worst show is going to be, because I feel like... He's so like optimistic and kind of tends to look at the brighter side of things that asking asking for the worst show, I'm like, yeah, I wonder what is either like so bad that it makes it through that filter of optimism or, if, or like, yeah, just what that'll be. And a lot of times people qualify things on the show. They'll say, well, okay, this wasn't the worst show ever, but it was bad in this way that I thought would be fun to share or whatever. So... Uh, you can qualify things if you care to or not, as you please. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked to hear what is what is your worst show. Right. Well, thanks for asking me to come and <laughs> yeah. expound. I guess that I would be inclined to qualify it just because it's, like I said before we started the interview, it's one of those moments in my um, experience touring that... This was with Tarantel, the band that I was in for like 15 plus years, and we did a lot of touring, and it's one of those moments that we, this particular group, continually go back to and reference 
both in reverence and in humor of the absurdity of what touring <laughs> entails. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe to kind of just remember how shocking it felt to be in that situation. Right. Um, and as time moves on and you and I we return to the story, it kind of morphs and changes, and the extremeness of it seems greater than it probably really was. Okay. And also, as I talked to it with my bandmates over the years, our take on it's different. Sure. How it affected us was different. Right. So for whatever reason, it's something that came to mind immediately when you asked me to do this, because for me, it was something that just felt very jarring. Right. And so I guess that's my, like, one preface. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so, little bookend. The reason why Tarantel went on this tour to begin with was because these two brothers in Italy... Yeah. Um, decided to start a kind of like a, an agency slash um, like a bundle where they were an agency that also were managing and driving. Okay. So unlike like one agency would would take on booking the shows, and then you would go to another organization that you would rent your car from, and then right. another organization would rent your gear from. They were trying to, they were trying to like, like shop. do it all together, yeah. and they were they were fans of Tarantels right. and pitched up an amazing offer and we were like reluctantly a little unsure but we're like you know what let's just do this let's do this we're gonna do three weeks in Italy and Switzerland and give these strangers the benefit of the doubt (laughs) because of their passion for wanting to make this happen and it's worth saying just you had said something before we started recording like that's so all. That's one of the things done, that it's absurd when you think about it objectively, but it's just a cornerstone of all yeah. touring. Is yeah. that you just give total strangers so the, benefit the benefit of the doubt, of the doubt all the yeah, time. Right. You do it all the time. Right. And you're like, here's a person I don't know at all. Hopefully, they'll do a great job and have my best interests right. in mind. Right. And but. it's like it's, it's it's wild because part of it's like a flattery thing. Like you feel you feel honored and flattered that somebody cares to put the energy. Right. Or likes what you do enough to want to like support you to make something happen somewhere else. Yeah. And then the other part of you is like using that that sort of like sense of. Um, validation to fill in all of the blanks that are logistics that make a tour sustainable sure and there are a lot of blanks that were not filled and promises that weren't even addressed which speaks to that but it also speaks to our age and maturity level and around when was this would you say it was the early aughts um but you know we were pretty like jim was Jim was officially drumming um, again, with Tarantel. Like we were we had we had started um, going off the yeah, deep end I and doing a lot of improvising, and it okay. was probably our first I European tour okay. where we were taking that material on the road instead of playing songs from albums. Okay. So that's another qualifier for this particular show that I think is an important detail because this was our first tour in Europe in front of audiences that had seen us before sharing 100% improvised music that was non-melodic in the sense of like songs that you could go back to and listen to from an album it was more like in the moment maybe an amalgam of some sort of stuff we were doing and recording yeah but it was it was like sort of just like in the moment improvised is there an album like i'm trying to place this like ghetto beats on the surface of the sun was our first like in earnest like kitchen sink 
fucking picking things up and making music with yeah um, without a lot of um, pretense right in terms of recording and then in terms of methodology as a group right is so, Jim the one playing drums on that record uh-huh, yeah I love the drums on that record so much <laughs> it's like John Bonham meets yeah a just machine even the or production on him too though like Jeff Bird okay it's just one of those I've I think I've sampled that like single flo- like Tom hits off that record because it's just like yeah, such a good drum. It's sound. insane. It's so good. We it's yeah. in some ways I feel like Jim. Yeah. His and his honestly, like, input as a percussionist and as like a, a voice musically that, that during that time that was like this anchor for all of us to like. It was like the skeleton. We got to flesh out around him, and and it was like so beautiful in it of itself that it felt really nice to just like really pull back and let him just be the most pronounced element in the music. I mean, so much music there where the drums are kind of like even though they are the backbone in a way there's still an afterthought where like here's the riff and then just play something that goes to this yeah and that that feels much more like the drums have this more like linear kind of yeah and it's nice because i feel like we could talk and talk yeah um but it was a really, really fertile, adventurous, satisfying, creative moment for us as a band. Yeah. But with that comes that exchange that you have with audiences and listeners that have their own relationship to your music that doesn't always fall. It isn't you. It isn't. It, is, it has nothing to do with what satisfies you creatively. Right. They have expectations. They have expectations and they come into it. So this was the first tour in Europe that um, we experience what that means, what right. that looks like. Right. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. So, with that said, our very first show of this tour was in Turin, Italy. Yeah. And this was the site of the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was prior, just prior to the Olympics. So okay. the city was, like, upside down, going through massive renovation, like, right. building a subway system, you know, that kind of <laughs> shit. Okay. Major... Right urban work going right. on so it was just like a very chaotic space to enter a tour and and fascinating right and you know it was basically the brothers met us at the yes, airport totally. there was that introduction and, and then we know, basically I mean, went straight to this venue which was crazy year. like um, brick fortification just, it looked like an um, know, an so old terrible, foundry that had been turned you know turned into like artist spaces and and, and, and that sort of thing that so had multiple uses and multiple it's quite like, large okay. and um impressive and, yeah. and and just sort of like what the hell this is incredible that this exists so we get there and i remember being super jet lagged and anxious of like what have we gotten ourselves into just like that that sort of underlying anxiety that any tour starts with and then we get to this place and it was like just I was sort of sensorily overwhelmed by like the city being under construction the circumstances of taking this leap of faith with these brothers and then this like crazy otherworldly venue space it was in this massive brick boundary like place and so I'm like hey guys so where's your restroom that was like the first thing that came that that was like important to me was like go use the bathroom I think I had eaten some bad food on the airplane I was not feeling very well and like the one thing that I needed was like a nice bathroom just to like 
get it just makes me happy to get my stuff going <laughs> right awesome so this yeah. is some personal stuff here. yeah um, yeah so, so they're like oh sure it's over there is it okay great and i went and this was i think weirdly after all the years the first hole in the floor yeah that's what toilet. i thought might be coming <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't okay hole in the floor okay i've heard about this it's like maybe not super shocking but i think given my exhaustion and anxiety level and just general need for like a clean bathroom yeah it was just like added to the jarringness <laughs> yeah. and, and it was fucking oh, filthy it was like beyond squat just like this was at the venue yes yeah. okay yeah yeah <laughs> so that was like the that was just like the first moment of right you this just got whole there night go, go and shit in the hole <laughs> and, and keep in mind we arrived at like 1 p.m. or something right. so it was like one of those days where you like you just arrive and you kill time <laughs> right and and so that was like the first impression right so I got through that, and I was like, okay. So we started, like, you know, discussing, okay. and, like, because we were improvising, there was, there was one of the things we'd like to do, and Paul Clipson, um, the filmmaker who's yeah. passed away, um, one of our dear friends, um, he loved to powwow and, like, sit down and sort of, like, hash out some kind of, like, structural ideas and just you know just get like excited conversation going and so we did that and like started to get like excited and for show in the band Paul Clipson yeah yeah. I didn't realize that absolutely doing visuals or doing visuals okay cool yeah he was he was he provided um 16 millimeter and super I think he was making super 8 films at that point um, and he was literally making films while we were touring and editing while we were like yeah. driving in the Winnebago. Okay. These two brothers were driving us through the f- fucking like Swiss Alps, smoking hash blunts, and Paul was uh, editing okay. and splicing by hand, yeah. like that kind of thing. He was very much like a huge part of like the, the, the whole creative process oh, wait, okay. actually, from start to finish in terms of like what we're what we were doing just like blending um his work with our with our music improvised music was like huge it was a huge yeah. shift for us okay but yeah paul was we considered him a band member yeah so we started like talking about what we might want to do and started to get things set up and just like wrap our head around like okay do we have the, um, the right transformers like did the equipment that we right, right. asked for and what we need to like deal with all our archaic electronics sure. can they be powered right. not just Paul's super 8 projector but like all of it right so we started to like lay things out and take a look at it look at the transformers and then begin to set up and you know it, we arrived at 1 p.m. and like you know each hour that went by it was like okay just very methodical taking our time things were starting to get into feeling good yeah getting a good vibe going with the brothers you know conversation yeah and then I just remember this weird thing like where people started arriving like folks who were coming to see the show but there was no distinction between like okay setup time is this point show is at this point it just felt like it was all kind of blending together okay like what and time would you at this point it was like it's such a early. blur but I want to say like around 6pm or so as we were like really starting to like plug in okay. and like get sounds and you were thinking amplified. you'd have like a sound check and then people something would start something sort of like that yeah 
Yeah. I mean, we weren't like prima donnas about soundtracks. Right. We just wanted to like have a, a moment, you know? Yeah. So as we were starting to like plug in and push sound through monitors, people were coming and so that that was kind of funky and we we're just like, okay, well, they'll hear us make sounds, you know? Right. And kind of cool, whatever. Maybe they'll dig I it. it. And so that was happening and then and then we were starting well. to encounter power hey, issues and I don't know if my first instinct um, was to say yeah, from memory that it was dirty it? power from this massive building that wasn't oh, equipped yes, to like remember, deal with oh, okay. so one thing that all the things that we were trying yeah. to do yeah. but it was possible there was just like a bad transformer or something okay. so that's where things got really haywire <laughs> okay. so we, were, we weren't able to like some things were being powered and some things weren't being powered so we're having to like quickly think on our feet like okay what can we do without in order to make this show happen and um as that was happening, we were also doing that in front of an audience, watching us panic in a way. So that it was sort of, it became a show. It was like our performance had already started. Right. And this was like, we started doing this around 3 p.m. And this was like 6, 6.30, 7. Okay. 7.30. We're still trying to figure stuff out. And people are watching us. Yeah. Just gathering. <laughs> You know, accumulating yeah. crowd, and it was just so surreal. We were jet lagged, and we were like trying to like just figure it out. And then a transformer blew up. Oh shit! And then it was like, yeah, like just panic mode was real. It was set in for all of us, and we were just like, it was chaotic for can you, us. Can you say a little bit? I feel like maybe I don't know if everybody will know what a transformer is. What that means. Yeah. Okay, so um, when you're for us, we were traveling with like equipment that was um, powered for US. Yeah. Um, so three prong. Right. 110. 110. Yeah. And when you're going abroad, in this case in Europe, I don't even know what the actual. I think it's you might two, know. Is it 220? It's either 240 or 220. I can't remember. But yeah, I think it's. I want to say 240. But I'm somewhere in the, the range. In that ballpark. Yeah. So what you need to do when you're do when you're traveling with with equipment that doesn't um, fit that that power um, is you need a transformer in order to like make what you work with trans transfer into the right. So and basically because if I understand I don't know a lot about electricity but I, it's like with that 240 or 220 whatever it is that's just too much for American gear exactly you just plug it in yeah. with like a little adapter. You're in big trouble. I mean, I've done this before. I've yeah. just brought a little adapter for things. Yeah. That's how you learn. <laughs> and your shit gets hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, not just hot, but your but shit case, blows up. In this case, it and breaks. Up. Yeah. Which has happened to me multiple times right. on multiple tours. Right. But this was like system wide, you know. Oh shit. Yeah. So um, it was wild. So that happened, and then and then like sort of like the show must go on kind of right. thing. So. We just really scrambled, and this was an opportunity, in some ways, looking back, for us to like really truly improvise. Right. <laughs> right. And it, and it shows you how much um, structure there was still in the in the mix. Right. Um, even though we embraced this improvising way of working, there was still a lot of like. Um, things we relied on in order to make that happen. This sort of framework that, that we felt safe within to make that happen was totally obliterated. And so this was we were very young in this process, I would say, at least 
speaking for myself. So it was jarring to like be experiencing that in real time in front of an audience of people who came to see you play, but not just people who came to see you play, but actually people who came to see you play songs that they knew from records that you had made in the past. Which we didn't know. We didn't really, naively, we didn't really think about that. Because yeah. we're not used to that. We weren't used to that at that point. So I don't know much. how you would be, right? Like, that's yeah. that's part of the thing. When you're playing, I think especially, like, more experimental music, it's usually for audiences that don't know you. Like, I mean, you guys, I think you guys were one of the rare things where you actually got this, like, following in Europe that, that was like, whoa, there's people that know our music. Yeah. Like, that's weird, you yeah, know? Yeah, it was, but, it but still it, baffles me so Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I remember being on tour with you in Europe and there was somebody, I, it might have been the same people, who were like begging to release something on their yeah. label mm-hmm. and it was something really old mm-hmm. and I remember oh, like... was that in France, Paris? I don't remember where it was, I like it was in but I just, I just remember yeah. at the time, me, I think that was like 2008, really for me at the time, having just put out like one album on some small label, I was like, that's amazing, you should put it out, and you guys actually being like, I don't really want to put that record out, like that's not really what we sound like these days, and we're actually being a little bit more picky about it, and kind of getting a sense of like, oh right, like you actually have this following or you have like options in, and like there's what you can do and you don't necessarily have to just take whatever comes along in the yeah. situation yeah. and I think you actually being kind of open to it and feeling like Jeffrey was like not going to be yeah. interested in it actually that's a really good segue <laughs> okay that's a really good segue because we all come into this you know Tarantel had it's a it's like any band it's like a marriage of personalities sure. that that you know for us um, we're very um, sometimes complementary and sometimes really paradoxical and that's what often made the creative work we did interesting and yeah. and surprising and um, and you know so and so Jeffrey and I have always been like really complementary for the most part but there was always like within that like a certain kind of like tension of um, battling between what would you call it like sort of like polar polar spaces and okay. how and how we would deal with a s- given situation or circumstance okay. creative decision whatever it is right. and so here we were in the midst of this technical malfunction in front of an audience in front of an audience that had an expectation as a band trying something new so there was a real vulnerability mm-hmm. at play that no one but us knew about really it was like right. our little secret but <laughs> the secret was being revealed right. in 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 just in a spotlight right and so that was just just all kinds of intense and it reached kind of like a a a point where i think that um we started we decided to just start playing without like announcing it we just started to begin like you had still been sound checking checking, so there were some sounds being made right so like (laughs) in the spirit of things not being really clear and distinct about like setup sound check performance we decided to just sort of honor the amorphic structure (laughs) of everything and just out of like a broken transformer and having to scramble to figure out what we're going to make music with and how we were going to make music we just in that moment in a strange decision started to to play in earnest okay and then which also i'm guessing means things 
then we're working enough enough to, to enough to, to just begin and at that <laughs> right. point we're so exasperated they just we're all we honestly just wanted to get it done okay right. we we're so exhausted and so messing with this for hours yeah this was like hours in <laughs> right it was just right. like it was an endurance test it wasn't a, it wasn't anything but that <laughs> right on on every level yeah, yeah. creatively and interpersonally and like all kinds of things were happening and so we just began to play and it was starting to like feel I was starting to really get inside the music where whereas before I was more just like anxiously trying to like figure out how to make it work you know yeah, yeah totally. and so we reached a point where I, I was just in it making picking things up and were you playing you know synth were you playing guitar do you know I had guitar for sure in the mix I think I had like a a keyboard it okay. wasn't a synthesizer I right. think it might have been like a little student um, electric organ okay. that, that I've used a lot yeah and we used to do things where we'd set up a tabletop that was sort of like um, available to anyone at any oh, time cool. yeah that just had shit plugged in right and we would run feeds through mixers where you could either play what was on the tabletop or actually play a line that came out from somebody else okay. through the mixer and through like a sequence of pedals or something and process it, and process it live bring it back okay and so some of that was obviously limited because of the situation we're in right but i think that was that was the that was general the setup too. okay so you know we were just carrying on and trying to do the best that we could and hoping people there were, were feeling it yeah with us and understanding somehow understanding that we were like trying our best and and that this was like this was us. Right. This was Tarantel at that moment. Right. And I was happy to keep going. And I think, and in my mind, I thought as we were, as time passed, we were getting more and more into interesting territory. Yeah. I think, from what I remember, and I wish Jeff was here because I feel terrible speaking on his behalf. Yeah. And yeah. I don't like speaking on someone's behalf when sure. they're not here. And so much time has passed that my sense of memory is so sure. warped. If at all possible, I'll try to get a hold of Jeffrey yeah. when I'm... He's in New York right now. He's right? in New York. And, and I'll let him argue with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know if he'll speak on it, to be okay, honest okay. with you. Cause, right. But, but, it, but I, will, I will at least say that I, I remember Jeff basically reaching a breaking point and, and like cutting it short like in the most done. dramatic fashion. Okay. And... Um, and I don't know if it was because there was another explosion <laughs> or something that was like, okay, that's it. There, I feel like there was like something like that, like technically okay. that happened that was like, okay, we're, we're done. Right. We can't. And it was like, it was like that, you know, okay, right. like keep, we're done, you know? Right. And it was like a, sh for all to see frustration, moment of frustration. Okay. It was very clear very, from the audience yeah, point of so, view that he was not just, yeah. that was the end. And, but. and like, we were all kind of like, not sure if we agreed with him and we were embarrassed by the situation. So it was like this, it felt like, um, like a parody of the worst show imaginable. You know what I mean? Like, because you're like, you're just, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Right. It was going on in such a, um, almost comical Okay. Degree. But so, when do you have any sense of how long you think you were playing for? I would say about a half hour. Okay. So we were we were a headlining band. Were there other bands playing? That yes. Um, Who were playing before you or after you? They played before us. Okay. So, so there was some like. Oh no! They played after us. They played after okay. us. Yeah. In I'm this, just thinking about one. you saying the amorphous sort of like lead from starting in. Yeah. 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 Okay. See, so they're good. My memory is is fuzzy. Right, right. No worries. Just My checking. cat is an alien. 
Okay. And they were they were big inspiration for us because they were doing a lot of improvised music. And okay. Going and they're off. from Italy. From Italy. Okay. Yeah. So we also had peers there that we really looked up to. Right. Them and 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 it was just like the whole thing was just and this was our first show of a tour that we were sort of like ah this is this is wild I can't believe we're doing this but right. let's just go for it. Right. Right. And then half hour in, we just shut down. That right. was it. That was done. Was there discussion and about how long you thought you would play? Or was that just usually left up to how it felt? It's always been a point of contention between us. Like, specifically, this is a great example of how Jeff and I operate differently. Like, at that time, I would err on the, on the side of playing a little longer, especially for abroad, and, like, went the length, you know, went that far to play. Yeah. yeah. He was more like leave them wanting more which right. is a philosophy I really really embrace now right. but at that time I was like wanting to play longer right, right. and in this situation it felt good to like have a little more spaciousness because like it allowed me to like move away from the chaos of trying to set up and deal with right. technical stuff and right. into the space of creating right. and it just Jeff was like everyone was just, it just <laughs> finished right. and the audience were like so bummed they were bummed because one, we bre- we cut it to such an abbreviated length that they were like, "What the fuck? We came out and you're just playing 30 minutes, and you're like this band that like plays each song for 30 minutes." Right, right. And two, because I think a lot of the people who, I know for a fact that a lot of the people who came came with the expectation to hear music that we had recorded and songs that they had liked from previous recordings. Right. And at that stage, we were not doing that anymore. We were playing improvised music, right. as I mentioned. So yeah. it was just like the perfect storm. Okay. And people were like coming up to us, basically like cursing us out. <laughs> Shit. Like quote unquote fans. If, if, right. I don't know if it's that's a little generous because... <laughs> Shit. It was like... I feel like the, the cultural context is worth stating here too. Yeah. If this had happened in Minnesota, probably nobody sure. would. Even if they were bummed, sure. nobody would have probably cussed you or out. Or Japan, or like you right. know, you know. But, but in Italy, they were like Northern Europe. Fuck you! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. <laughs> and actually, it's something that, like I said, when we do talk about it, that's one of the things that brings me the most joy is to okay. think about the very like matter of factness of that exchange from that whole tour that we had with our audiences. Yeah. That interfacing. It was so like raw and like unfiltered. Yeah. It, it's it's just one of the things that makes that entire tour so memorable, yeah. laughable, and and weirdly enriching. Like okay. we learned a lot. Right. We learned a lot. Right. And so people done, they weren't pulling. They punches. were not. They were, they were not like... pulling punches, but there was a lot of like through throughout the entire tour, there was a lot of um, instances where fans came up and let it be known that they were disappointed. Yeah. They were disappointed that we didn't play such and such song. They're disappointed that we were even doing this kind of music at all. Right. It was like they weren't afraid to tell us that we, how to make music. Right. And and how <laughs> what we're doing wasn't what they wanted. It was right. like, it was wild. Right. It was, it was really, really wild. And um, it kind of tore my heart apart. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it also taught me about how important it is to do something that comes from your heart versus something that co- that comes from the expectation that someone outside of yourself might have yeah and 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 that was like that was one of those moments in my like just be just making music where i really learned how to like tr- 
negotiate that that tension between wanting to feel like what you're doing is resonating with your with hopefully with listeners people who are willing to take the time to come to a show or buy right. something and, and and wanting to have meaningful exchanges but also wanting it to be um, genuine right. music that you genuinely feel excited about right. that um, that you know in in doing that you're taking a risk with certain people who might not be there with right. you and right. being okay with that right and, and that's, that's a hard thing it's really hard, right? <laughs> that's always that's always this challenge I think for anybody making music that they're or art in general yeah or any kind of art really but where if, if you're passionate about it if you're invested in it where of course I, I I mean I'm sure you've had this experience too where there are some folks who I think just don't care who just like mm-hmm. I'm doing this mm-hmm. you can get into it or not mm-hmm. fuck you right and I feel like that's one extreme mm-hmm. that I'm not necessarily sure interested in personally mm-hmm. um, I mean I think for you or for me, for most of us who are invested in making music, we part of what we get out of it is the hope that an audience will be moved, mm-hmm. will, will get something mm-hmm. um, that they didn't have before, mm-hmm. and have experienced something that's that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, on the other extreme, right, you've got people who like just wanna just wanna please, mm-hmm. and will do that to the detriment of their own vision or to anything like unique or interesting that they have to say Mm -hmm. and I think that that balance is I I find it's never done you just always have to negotiate where where this particular project in this particular place Mm -hmm. needs to fall within Mm -hmm. that that balance totally of of being hopefully good for the people listening yeah (laughs) but also genuine and authentic coming from you yeah um though it's I I do think I'm sure I mean you've toured in Europe enough too that I'm guessing you said this was your first, like, this wasn't your first European tour. No, no, not this at was, all. This was the first this one is our, where yeah. you had, like, it was, like, people who knew you. Well, no, it wasn't the first tour where people who knew us. This is the first tour where people who knew us saw us in light of a major creative shift. Right, gotcha. So, I'm just thinking, too, though, about how that cultural difference between a lot of Europe and, say, the U.S. I'm actually... I, it's a little bit tangential, but I was just thinking. So I'm sure you saw this morning, uh, Anthony yeah. Bourdain. It's wrecked me all day. Yeah, it's fucked. Um, but I've been thinking about. You know, I just was on Facebook earlier and reading a lot of just people saying how he touched them yeah. in all these ways, and people quoting. And there's one quote that I've seen shared a bunch today that it it is really. I mean, that there was even anybody on TV advocating this at all is awesome gift considering how fucked the world is right now but just he said like something about i'm gonna probably butcher it a little bit but he said if, if i'm an advocate for anything it's to just move to move as much as possible as far as possible to just walk in someone else's shoes eat their food understand them tell their stories to that basically if you you know advocating for traveling in in hopes of bringing people together and, mm-hmm. and understanding one another who mm-hmm. are different and trying to get people to be less afraid mm-hmm. of the of the people who look differently that eat differently that speak differently mm-hmm. than you um, and I think that we as Americans was something that I didn't really fully understand until I spent a decent amount of time 
not just in Europe, but especially in Europe for me, was how polite we are. <laughs> I mean, how like how American politeness has a particular form to it, and mm-hmm. you sort of don't realize it that like the things that we consider polite that are just not considered polite everywhere. Yeah, and how I don't I think as an American as Americans go, I mean, I I think of myself as being kind of like less interested in formalities or mm-hmm. whatever but then I really come up against my own Americanness yeah when I'm when I've been in situations where someone's just saying something to my face and I'm thinking you don't say that to people <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know yeah. that I have to sort of check yeah. my own uh, you know just cultural uh, positionality yeah. too it's like yeah. how you've been how you've been um, brought up to communicate right and yeah. I'm pretty committed Norms to the of idea communication and exactly. things like that. That, that there so is no entrenched. one. There's no one yeah. right way. There's just how we were all but, taught and we're taught different ways. Sure. But certainly as an American, sometimes you, you go in another country yeah. and someone's talking to you in this very direct way yeah. and then you really realize yeah. how many layers of nicety there are mm. to American totally. conversation. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that you don't just say and how that's, that was disappointing to me, that you don't say that to a person. You, you well, it, like, I think it, it's, occasionally people I think do that it, that's so, context specific though. I think okay. it's so much more nuanced even in America because yeah. depending on where you are and sure. what circles you're in, totally, totally. there's people have more permission to speak from their, from their heart and mind with like and to be more like um, direct than in other places like I just spent a month in Minneapolis for example and had some time to explore the Twin Cities and that obviously meant bumping up against like very very different groups of people that lived there right from like folks who like you know cab cab drivers and taking a lift and um going to a restaurant, going to a cafe, like walking down the street, mm-hmm. folks who are living on the streets, folks who, you know, were working in the business sector. And one thing that really hit me and my partner was like how um, there's a desire, at least in that month, from the people that we interacted with to have genuine interactions. And, you know, there was niceness. Yeah. But it wasn't having grown up in California, which you will understand. Yeah. There's a niceness to Californians that I feel like speaks to what you're talking about, which is like avoiding conflict at all costs. Right. So much so that you overcompensate by being nice. Yeah. And then that just becomes bullshit and phony (laughs) and forced and it becomes very apparent i think especially to somebody outside of california who's not used to that and then there's the minnesota which which one of our friends who's from minnesota spoke to which was minnesota nice which is like supposedly like genuine like yeah like like southern hospitality style but like more genuine than that it's interesting that now I'm also speaking in generalities and of yeah. course there's exceptions and I think I mean, you were in Minneapolis 
Minneapolis, St. Paul, that Saint area, Paul. yeah. Um, and like surrounding bigger cities are obviously different than rural areas. Oh, for sure. But I think of a lot of friends of mine who are from the Midwest who talk about the Midwest much as you and I are talking about California. Yeah. Where there's this desire to avoid conflict at yeah. all costs, and even within like family. Sure, sure. Where you say, "Well, that's that's fine. No, yeah. that's great," and yeah. you just you just leave it at that. Suppress. Yeah. <laughs> suppress the rage. Suppress whatever is there, and you just be nice um and i think of course yeah so we're talking about generalities definitely i i try to be careful about generalizing yeah but um but i think that when you were talking about people just coming up to you and telling italians you that it that it was bullshit yeah i think i've you know you know i've i've toured a lot and i've i've had that happen very rarely in the states whereas i've had it happen more in the, in the, I've definitely spent less time in Europe than in the States, and it's yeah. definitely happened more in Europe. Yeah. Just, or also in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and just people who don't know me at all feeling totally entitled to give their opinion mm-hmm. about whatever I'm doing mm-hmm. just without reservation. Right. And I, again, I feel like you do, where it's like there's something kind of great about it, mm-hmm. and there's also something kind of off-putting mm-hmm. about it. And for me, it tries, it makes me try to like, just be aware that my prejudices are mine and that that I'm coming at it from this place so like I mean I once uh, I was flying from Berlin to JFK to from like Tegel in Berlin to to New York um, and I had totally forgotten that uh, this this ticket I had was a standby it was I was flying for very cheap because a friend of my mom's was a flight attendant and she got me the standby ticket. And got it was it. awesome. It was like $350 for a round trip wow. ticket, right? Yeah. But the stipulation was that I was supposed to be dressed business casual. And what? I knew that on the way there, but it was a three-month tour in Europe. And so like three <laughs> months to... later... I mean, you... It... <laughs> Have you ever dressed business yes. casual? I've I would love to, to see that. I've been to weddings and things. I've seen I mean, you at weddings, and you're wearing like some crazy muumuu or something. And I've never seen oh, you dress business casual. The, you're thinking I just when love I, that image. The one where I'm like dressed like the Pope? your sisters. Yeah, yeah. That one, I, I mean, that was my sister very specifically asking yeah. me to dress like the cleric and the princess bride. Right, right. And I, <laughs> I was officiating that wedding. But generally, that's the image that comes to mind. When I you think say just weddings. means a collar. Yeah, I know. I you know, know what business casual is. I'm just, <laughs> just explaining you in that. It's like <laughs> right. It's not usually my deal. Yeah. Um, but I did it on the way there. Anyway, three months later, I had completely forgotten about that part of it. And I think the whole point of it is that you. You may be given the last seat on the plane if you're flying standby, and that might be in first class. And they don't want people dressed the way I generally do in first class, mucking it up for all the big shots, I guess. But so I forgot. Which is such fucking ludicrous yeah. classes bullshit. Of course. But I'm pretty sure that's why. Yeah. And I think they're like, you want to fly for free? That's fine. Here's the stipulation. And at the time, I thought, yeah, whatever. Like, wear a college shirt. I can do that. Wear a clean pair of khakis. I can do yeah, that. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> it's totally it's worth it. It's not that big a deal. Right. But I had forgotten. <laughs> and at the end of a three-month tour, you were I was... stanky. I was stinky. Scraggly. I was wearing... I remember I was wearing my Wu-Tang shirt, which oh, was, like, buddy. from, like, 1994 <laughs> or something. It was... I was dirty. Yeah. I was, it was definitely, like, something where I had to get up really, really early to take a bus 
to be there, you know, two hours beforehand, and it was like, I'll do laundry when I get home, I'll shower when I get there. Uh, not to mention, I will just say in terms of cultural, uh, I don't know, relativity, um, you know, everybody smokes in Europe. It's yeah. like everyone smokes cigarettes, yeah. and I hate it. Yeah. I hate being around oh, people yeah. who stink like cigarettes yeah. all the time. Right. So to me also, I thought my BO is nowhere near <laughs> the smell of like these businessmen who smell like tobacco all the time. Ashtrays. But anyway, I just forgotten. I get there, I check in, they're like, yeah, well, you know, the deal is everyone else boards, and then assuming they're still... And That's and my, my mom's friend had checked in before and thought, it's not guaranteed, but you're pretty solid on this you you know should be should have a seat so everyone gets on the plane I'm kind of waiting for my turn and then I they're not saying anything so I go check in with them and I'm like hey I'm just checking is seems like everyone's on am I next is there and they're like uh, I'm sorry you will not be flying with us today and I was like oh so damn there's no no more room and there's like well there is room but frankly sir you need to take a bath now listeners can't see this, oh, <laughs> but Danny just made it. the like holy shit face, <laughs> which is what I did. Yeah. And I was the fact is, and this is my point, Jaw is drop. that that was true. Yeah, it's not that I thought what you're saying isn't it's absurd true. or unfair. No, yeah. it was just that you don't the say that. The frankness. The I can't directness. imagine someone saying, that, especially in com- customer service, yeah. right? So, especially in the like service industry. Yeah. And that's what I, I was like really aware of my Americanness is because yeah. I thought, well, and and she's she could have just said there's a dress code, right, which I was clearly not up to, and that would have been enough. Yeah, no, I, I'm surprised. But that's... she said she referenced my T-shirt, which was torn and ratty and smelly, but then she specifically said like You're you need unclean. to take a bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they didn't let me on the plane. And, you know, there was only one flight from Berlin to New York a day. So I had to, like, take a bus back to my friend Xenia's place. She actually had some, fortunately, she had some, like, friends. Like, I don't remember why. She had, like, some men's clothes that had been left at her house. And she, like, let me borrow or have. I'm like, borrow? Would you ship them back? (laughs) Yeah, right. She let me have, like, some. I think I just did laundry i had some pants she had a collared shirt uh-huh. i think i even shaved a little bit or, or you know i just i didn't i fortunately had one day that i could spare like i think i was playing the next day in new york and so this was like now instead of getting in new york dealing with jet lag for a day and then having a show i was going to like arrive and which is the worst case scenario yeah. before i needed to be at a venue yeah no good um, but i remember when i went back into into town into Berlin I was talking to my friend Renee and I I was telling him what this woman said to me and he I was like I can't believe she said that he's like why I mean she's not American and he like made it as like a joke and I was like oh you're right yeah that's that's my cultural bias it's like but and part of it is you kind of hinted at this earlier too but I think here part of it is the capitalist part of it it's like in the service industry there's this attitude like the customer is supposed to always be right which is kind of bullshit but we're used to it. We just think, like, in the service industry, you're expected to lie through your teeth and be nice, even if someone was is shitty to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's, that's what I was raised on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And so it was doubly shocking. Not just that a stranger, but that someone... Told you to take a shower. Yeah, like, who was a 
running a business right. would like tell me that I was dirty. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, I yeah. just anyway, I just was thinking of all these experiences of someone being very frank with me. Yeah, in in Europe, and sometimes it catching me way off sure. guard. I, I mean, honestly, in general, yeah, I really appreciate frankness and, yeah. and people being very direct. I think when it comes to like when you contextualize it in 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 like this is your your art your music this thing is so close to your heart yeah and people are feeling entitled to speak frankly about what they did or didn't like yeah it's it's a different thing you know yeah, because totally. then you have your ego to deal with to contend with you have your sure. your your need for validation and and your disappointment and all of the um, other mixed emotions that come along with it not to mention the cultural disconnect right. of like how you've learned to communicate and what those norms look like versus another culture's norms. Right, right. You know? But and even, we were thrown yeah, into, totally. the, into the thick of it on this occasion. Right. It was such a wake-up call. Right. And I learned so fucking much from it. Right. You know? But and it was hard at the time. And even when... I mean, you mentioned the ego part of it, but I think also if you're doing music that's, you know, that's moving to you it means sometimes taking risks right I feel like that's that's part of it we wouldn't be and, there if it wasn't right yeah and so I'm kind of also I'm a little bit surprised not like hugely surprised but I also think that you guys are the kind of band where I would I would think like your fans in Italy or any place would be like more stoked that when you're like oh I've seen them before but this time they did something else well, well that's and, the thing is right. that if, if you if we talked about the full tour, you would learn that there was, it was very polarizing. Of course. Yeah, so there sense. was the fans who were like forward about, why didn't you play for Carl Sagan? <laughs> right, right. You know, from such and such album, why didn't you play this song? And then there were the fans who were that, that yeah. were just totally embracing it and like became more excited about us yeah. moving forward. So it was, right. it was an interesting just experience to like see what happens when you take those risks. Yeah, rewards that come along with it, yeah. as well as the the things that do tap into uh, like ego stuff, and just like bring into question like why you do what you do. Right. What is it that drives what you do? Right. Really. I wonder too. <laughs> this is probably a totally. This is a question I don't know if either of us can answer, but I wonder what separates those groups of people who want to hear exactly what they already know because they like it and that that's why they're there mm -hmm. and then people that sort of trust you enough to do something and would rather hear a thing that they haven't heard because I've I find myself on either side of that depending on the band you exactly know, yeah if I went and saw Paul Simon he's touring right now you know like yeah. I totally want to hear Graceland yeah. and I don't know what he's written recently yeah. and I mean I'd be fine hearing that too, right. but man, I would want to hear oh, Graceland. Yeah. I, f <laughs> I fully admit the like paradox of my own yeah. explanations here and my my position as a fan yeah. as well, and how um, how this happens to me too. Sure, you know? and and it's also dependent on the band and all sorts of other things. I think you know? for me, it, so it, there's it's a both and. It's not yeah. like an either or. Right, right. You know? Oh, and I'm. It's more like I'm just trying to think of what what is you were sort of asking like that question of like what drives what you drives you to yeah. play music and i'm oh, just yeah. thinking of us also because you know musicians are also audiences of music 
And I think what drives me to be more conservative or more open when it comes to listening to music from somebody that I like. And I, I'm thinking about it, and I, I feel like it's mostly more in the pop world where I am more conservative. Totally. Where like, I like these songs, right. and I hope they play these songs. Right. Even And I was thinking, like, Paul Simon, but even I saw Princess Nokia recently. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. her? Yeah. And I'm hoping she does Bart Simpson. I hope she's doing, like, the bangers, the hits sure, sure. off the record that I have, yeah. you know. Even I only have one of her records. It's not mm-hmm. like I've been a fan of hers since high school, like Paul sure. Simon or something. But yeah. I'm—it's not even a nostalgic thing. It's just like, oh, I like that. I hope yeah. she plays that. Yeah, yeah. And then somebody like, but I feel like Tarantel or The Drift or other like bands where I think of it in terms of experimental music, whatever that means. But but more sort of experimental things. I think, if anything, I've been at shows somebody who I really like but then I think oh they did the same thing when I saw them five years ago like I didn't I mean that was cool they're doing their thing heck yeah but I feel less compelled to see the same thing over and over again but I don't know yeah I just don't know what it is for me what pushes me one way or the other as a listener as a listener yeah yeah. I think it's like what I, I mean I don't know either I can't tell you what that means but for me I think that what you said a second ago felt like something that explains my reaction to whether or not I close up or open up. Yeah. Has a lot to do with like the frame or style of music that a band has generally operated within. Like if it's more pop oriented where they've never made an experimental album, quote unquote, whatever right. the fuck that means. Right, right. They've always made albums that were like um, thematic and song oriented that had verses and choruses, for example. They've always had that kind of output. And and you've known them to tour on those albums and continue to bring material from even several albums prior into their sets. I think that my my, um, tendency would be to kind of come in with an expectation. Yeah. Just purely for the fact of the precedent that they set up as artists, right? Like what they do, what they're about. What it is that you love about them might even be that, you know? But even... That predictability, even, even. But the stylistic thing you're talking about makes sense to me. But I'm even thinking about... The way this, this conversation usually happens is about folks who've been at it a long time. Yeah. And who have a pretty vast catalog. And I'm, I just keep thinking about the word trust or the concept of trust when it comes to art. And how I don't necessarily tr- trust a lot of pop singers or folk singers to just to have a whole career of amazing music like it doesn't happen that often i mean anyone for that matter sure it's very tough to sustain yeah but i wonder i'm just thinking out loud here i'm not sure about this but i'm thinking about how regardless i don't know if it's just about experimental music but when i think of musicians who are invested in exploration yeah then whatever that means yeah right but it's I, like you have to qualify everything right, when right. you start talking about this stuff I thought of somebody who maybe problematizes this whole distinction that both of us are trying to figure out but uh, Diamanda Galas have you ever seen her live? <laughs> I've never seen her live I've seen her I've once I've always appreciated her but yeah I don't know that I would go see her live yeah, I saw her in like 2000 or so 2007 yeah and it was amazing Uh uh-huh i'm sure one of the things that i loved was she was so 
mean to her audience. Yeah. Like <laughs> but in this, in Marky this, like, Smith charming. Style. And who's that? Marky Smith, like, the fall. Like, oh, he's okay. A nasty, bitter. It wasn't, salty it person. came off so charming. Oh, right. It wasn't like, I mean, I've seen, uh, what's his name? Isaac Brock from. Uh, modest mouse yeah. be a total asshole and it, it was really off-putting yeah, that's but different. she was sort of this like curmudgeon asshole but it's like that's what you came to see yeah. and but and it wasn't like I just remember specifically somebody yelled out some name some song that they wanted to hear uh-huh. and like she has a body of work that people know and she's playing yeah. songs it's very much it's weird but it's still very much in the song yeah. form yeah yeah uh choruses and verses and things sure, usually sure. Um, and she said something like you think I'm a goddamn jukebox right. <laughs> or something yep. like like don't yell things at me you right. know she just sort of like put well, the guy in his place it was yeah. like don't that's rude don't right. yell at me right I'll play what I want right. well that's, <laughs> that brings up a whole yeah. other um, aspect of this conversation yeah which is that consumer right. kind of expectation that that listeners right. can develop with with music artists right, right. where it's almost like they're objects for their own consumption and they're almost like can be dehumanizing in a way right, where it's right. like I'm not on demand right for your on a whim pleasure as you're feeling it in the moment right. like you but have there totally. is a certain kind of level of self-preservation that right you have to allow me to have and if you don't allow me to have it then fuck off right and I'm going to make that... Totally. I'm going to stake, you know, I'm going to draw my boundaries. And that comes back <laughs> to this concept of trust, I think, where, in a way, she's saying, look, you came to see me, either see either me. trust that I know what I'm doing, right. and I'm going to play music, yeah. and hopefully you're into it, yeah. or don't. Or and go but somewhere if, else. Or do that. But, uh, but she's sort of, like, not interested in, if you're going to, you just want to come here as a as a consumer with no trust of right. just like and then make demands it's conditional you'll like right. you'll like me if I do this right you're not just gonna appreciate me as the person that also wrote the song that you liked right but who is here now in this time and space right sharing what it is that's exciting to me now right you know right and be here with me be here in this moment with me this just that's a choice that yeah. I think audience members yeah. have uh, they, we all have a choice in the matter of how we engage with a, an experience yeah. with art of all kinds and how open we are, you know? Right. And that's, that's nothing... We, we, there's, not, there's no controlling that, but it's still... There is still a kind of, like, base-level choice that we all have as consumers of art and music and as performers or creators to, like, do what we do and navigate why we do what we do, you know? And, and I guess when I, I keep bringing it back to trust because I'm thinking of the people who I know that I don't trust them and that's why I wouldn't go see a show of theirs now right because even if they made music in the past that yeah. I liked you've already I, made your mind up though too well I mean like Bob Dylan is a good example like yeah. I love certain eras yeah. of Bob Dylan sure and I totally think he has every right to play whatever the fuck he wants yeah that doesn't mean that you but I'm go. not into it yeah. and I feel like if he wants to play a bunch of new stuff go right ahead yeah i'm not interested in seeing that really i'm not like a big enough fan of the current stuff that um that i just gonna go see whatever he has to do yeah no Um, i hear you yeah 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 that's probably a discussion for another time definitely um but thank you
be brought up a lot of yeah. feelings and memories yeah and, um, yeah and also just like thinking about how much you and I have like traveled together Worst show ever.